Live from Perth, Australia, and broadcasting around the world, you're listening to The O Show with your host, Oren McCory. The O Show is a no-nonsense podcast bringing you the best advice on training, mindset, and nutrition to supercharge your efforts in the gym, the kitchen, and most importantly, in your head. Don't forget to share this episode on your social media. Now, let's get to it. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, guys. Welcome to today's episode of The O Show. And we have on today a long-term friend of mine, and actually the first guy who ever coached me for a body transformation way back in 2013. We have my good friend from Ireland, Josh Williamson. Welcome to the podcast, Josh. Hey, Aaron. How's it going? Good, man. Good. Um, it's very exciting having you on. I mean, like I said, you were my first coach way back in the day. And kind of sparked this whole interest in taking my physique, you know, as, as far as it can go. So um, yeah. you kind of set me on this path away from the normal fitness, <laughs> fat loss, PT towards more physique development. So I got to thank you for that. But mate, since then, you have been a busy boy and you have earned your PhD in nutrition, <laughs> um, which we'll get into in a second. But what we're going to talk about today is uh, we're going to bust some myths around nutrition, what people might have heard what's the most common things and why they're potentially wrong or some that are seen as myths, but might be potentially right. Even they might have some merit. So, but before we get into that, let's talk about you. So tell us about you and the many hats you are as a coach and an educator and everything in between buddy. Yeah. Um, cheers for having me on. Like it's, it's good to finally get it, get getting to sit down with you being halfway across the world. Exactly. Um, so I probably started like most people. I was just the typical gym bro. Um, got sucked into it probably around 18. I, I was an uh, international athlete, represented Ireland um, in the 400 meters. And then coming when I was 18, I was a very, very skinny kid. Just wanted to put on a bit of muscle and find the gym. Found Bench Mondays, found mm. the supplements, found everything. Um, and back then it wasn't as saturated as it is today. So there's no social media, no Instagram, no information. Like I remember back in the day, I don't know if you remember this, but on YouTube, there's a guy Scooby and there's another guy, Scott Herman used to be two of the OGs back in the day. And I learned a lot of stuff from them, but then reading the likes of bodybuilding.com and, and that type of stuff. So find myself into the gym just fell in love with the the process and then over the course of probably the last eight or nine years i've sort of built a career helping people uh done my master's in sports nutrition which is probably what most people know me for uh to be fair working with either people who just want to look better naked the likes of yourself who was one of my first clients right up to elite athletes going to sort of commonwealth level um competition and then, as I said, the last four years, five years of my career has been spent doing a PhD in exercise biochemistry and molecular biology. So it gives you sort of a background in terms of being a busy boy, but, you know, having like a real good solid in the trenches moments of training. Yeah, yeah, perfect, Mia, perfect. And I think obviously you're saying I was one of your first clients, which I can't really remember that because at the time I th- 
you were doing quite well with coaching. You obviously had a few clients on, but I remember seeing your physique. I'm pretty sure you competed the year before. Was it 2012 in men's physique? Yeah, yeah. And at that time, sure. not many people were competing. And I remember looking and being like, well, this guy's, you know, transformed his body himself pretty well. Like, I think we're, I just joined Bulls Gym around the time and yeah. you were training in yeah. there and that's how we met. And you had a few good, good clients under your book. And I was like, you know, let's give this guy a shot. And now this saying has stuck with me since then. It's a breakups make bodybuilders. To clarify, <laughs> I finished a relationship. I signed up and then the relationship finished before we started. So technically the breakup didn't spur on the bodybuilding but it probably made me more consistent and committed and launched into the program. And that was the first big transformation that I'd done, mate. Um, and I thought we'd done pretty well. Um, yeah. Out of that, considering it was my first real time dieting while trying to keep as much muscle as possible. Anytime I dieted before, we'd sort of drop too much muscle, ended up looking skinny, as I've said on Instagram posts before. But I think that was the first time we probably nailed a look that was um, leaner and you know muscular at the same time rather than just withering away so thank you for igniting that passion in me um, <laughs> so many years ago buddy so let's talk about your makeup now like in terms of educating and delivering seminars versus coaching so how does that look for somebody who might you know want to do a degree in nutrition but maybe want to keep on being a coach like what does your average week look like Average week is not enough days in the week. It's what it is. <laughs> um, no, it's um, it's been very very busy. I mean, like my I'd say my day job is I'm a lecturer in um, exercise, mainly the sort of physiology, biochemistry side of things with some nutrition in there. So that's pretty much my day job. I, I'm across two university campuses. And I teach across multiple undergraduate and postgraduate courses. So that, that's the majority of my week helping sort of the up and coming, I would say, practitioners in the world. But obviously, outside of that, I do have a lot of consulting and educating with either coaches just wanting to get a better grasp of knowledge on nutrition. Or what I find is that there's a lot of strength and conditioning coaches out there who just aren't sure about certain issues like they have a fair good idea or people like yourself who have came through the system you've learned a lot along the way and they just want confirmation that they're doing things right mm -hmm. so they come to the likes of myself to educate them that yeah you know what everything you're doing is perfect here's how we can tweak some things to help your clients and better serve them um, and provide some education in that way the other part of that is going into the likes of sports clubs or working with athletes themselves and either coaching them through how to get the best out of their nutrition or it's either giving like a talk to a corporate group in terms of wellness, productivity, that type of thing. So very, very busy at the moment with everything that's happened over the last six month, months, our university has decided to go online. So I'm in the middle of prepping a whole semester worth of lectures for online delivery now starting next week. So going to be a busy, busy couple of months, but really looking forward to it. Like I really enjoy the, the education side of things because watching someone get that light bulb moment where something just clicks, mm -hmm. like that's, it's just fantastic. Like and it's one thing just standing up there and, and talking about certain things, but when you can actually get someone to grasp a concept that they maybe had difficulty with, you know, that's just, 
that's the reason why like I get stuck into educating like I love coaching and I love seeing the impact you can have on someone's life but when it comes to the education side of things it's just watching people grasp concepts that they maybe thought were way beyond their reach is just you know next level for me yeah perfect man perfect I think that um that sums up the different hats you are well and what sort of drives you on so Let's get into it, buddy. Let's um, let's talk about. Let's start us off with what's the biggest myth or biggest mistake that you personally have made with your nutrition over the years, or what did you buy into that now you're like, can't believe I, I thought that. Yeah, everything under the sun. I <laughs> <laughs> um, just say, like, I, I started as a, a typical gym bro, and my information came from bodybuilding.com. So I remember reading literally within about the first week of lifting a weight that if you want to put on muscle, you need to eat 4,000 calories a day. And so that's what I done. I was like, this is it. This is permabulk now. And just went, went at it with the calories and didn't care what they came from. Just needed, I, I needed to get them on board. So that was probably the, the first mistake I made. And then I remember I went, I went through a real bad supplement phase where I just bought every supplement that I thought was going to give me the the, the best, the edge. That you know that those old, um, you know the old market where it was like, you know, put on twenty pounds and whatever it was by taking this creatine or something. And I remember the big company Muscle Tech used to do a lot of that type of advertising yeah. and had products that just sounded unbelievable. So I was like, yeah, let's jump on these here. Let's get these and spending a fortune on, on supplements that probably didn't do very much yeah, in the yeah. grand scheme of things. Um, and then probably the, the other one that really comes to mind is, is what you sort of touched on. You know, when you were going through a dating phase or um, trying to lean up yourself or coaching someone else was just losing too much muscle and not really striking that balance between trying to retain as maximum amount of lean tissue as possible, but also getting the body fat down to where it needs to be. And as you said, I, I ended up very, very stringy. Like I think I lost maybe 45, 50 pounds in wow. my first cut. Um, and looked looked well, but looked really, really stringy. Didn't fill out. I remember the morning of that show, actually just getting in honey, getting in carbs, getting the whole lot in and nothing was happening. Yeah. Uh, and it's only when you look back, you realize, well, no wonder like so you, you pretty much were on minimal calories no salt no water no nothing yeah and ended up just looking terrible and, and i remember it was the next day where i felt fantastic because i went home had some carbs had some salty food and then that was it i was like this is the way i should have looked yesterday <laughs> yeah and then at that stage as well right the body relaxes a bit right because you 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 finished on stage you've had a big cheat meal like you said with the perfect trifecta of carbs and salt. Plus you've been drinking, you know, water throughout the day, probably after your show, even some diet Cokes or whatever at night, you know, that hydrates you that little bit more. And then all of a sudden the body de-stresses and you look fantastic, right? Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, I, but the thing is you still see people doing that now, you know, you see a lot of high level bodybuilders looking fantastic a week out from a show or a photo shoot and then, it comes to the day and they've just messed it up in that final week. Yeah. You know, and it just takes, I don't know. I always talk about nutrition, but I think it applies to the whole area of what we're discussing here. 
is that there's so much information out there, but very little knowledge and very little applied knowledge that, you know, you really do need to go to the good coaches and the coaches with experience to really get you that look if that's what you're after, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, yeah. I think, thinking back to my my biggest mistake was probably probably program hopping and probably thinking that there was one magic thing that was mm-hmm. gonna, whether it was a supplement or a diet or even like to cross into the training realm briefly, like it's the same thing, program hopping with that or, you know, coach hopping yeah. or whatever it is, just thinking that there's something magic, you know, that was there, like with that, that fat, before I joined you, that, I think it was a 21 day online thing where I lost like, a stone in 21 days and looked like skinny <laughs> as hell after. Um, yeah. Like that was me reaching out for the magic pill. The same, like you said, with supplements, right? You know, you had like the cell tech by um, muscle tech and you had BSN had Ronnie Coleman, you know, and you're like, fuck <laughs> yeah. if, if Mr. Olympia is taking this, then I'll just take this. And like, I'll add on five kilos easy, you know, not be as big as him, but yeah. if I let you take this, I'll get five kilos by like the end of the next month, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Without realizing that, you know, it is all marketing, um, whether that is marketing a diet or a supplement, it is all marketing really. And that, that there's no one right diet. There's no magic pill. It's just finding what suits you personally. And that's obviously like, the way that when you work with a good coach, that's what ends up happening, right? Where you find out what fits that person rather than trying to fit that person to your system as such. Yeah, definitely. I'm just moving around because the sun's coming in. So um, yeah, definitely. Like it's, it's a strange one because you still see it now with the young guys coming through and young girls coming through the gym that they're all looking for this magic program. And like, it's understandable, you know, even now, the likes of me and you, I, I remember a couple of years ago, we had, a, we had a talk and you were doing a diet at the time and then you jumped on a, a sort of like a cyclical ketogenic type approach. And it's just, I think our brains are just wired to try and find out. It's either that thirst for knowledge, like I want to find out exactly what works here or it's more like, how can I get that next pound off? Mm-hmm. And you think that, you know, at the end of it, you know, sexy sells and what doesn't sell is, you know, consistency, just doing like the same progression within the gym and just eating, you know, consistently good. Yeah. But people, people are trying to find, you know, what's the easiest way I can do something while getting the most return from it. So, yeah. you know, I can understand where people are at. I was there myself, but it is like, there's so much information out there that you can see how people get trapped into these myths and, you know, these ways of actually doing things. So yeah, yeah, like it's, uh, I think we've all been there and I think it's almost a rite of passage. You know, you have to go through that to actually find out what is right here. Yeah. 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 And thinking back that actually, that's probably, that cut you're talking about was 2015 when I prepped myself for my second ever show in Glasgow. And I was obviously using different people as sounding boards who I trusted while prepping myself. And I remember I'd go low carb during the week, like so low that I would cause binges. I would literally 
I don't think I've talked about this on a podcast, but I've told clients and stuff before. Yeah. We used to live above a Tesco Express. So if you're Australian, that's just like a supermarket. Um, I'd go down and I would buy a couple of things in their bakery section on like a weekend. <laughs> Going down to get milk or something, right, for the normal yeah. day or something that I needed to buy. And I would be coming up in the lift. We only lived on like the second floor or something, so it took like two minutes. Yeah. I'd be chewing <laughs> down these jam donuts or whatever the fuck I'd bought in the bakery. I'd wipe them <laughs> my mouth in the mirror of the the thing so that Esther, who knew I was prepping, didn't have a fucking go at me. And I'd hide the wrappers in my pocket and I'd be doing <laughs> that consistently. And I was yeah. also during that prep, I pushed myself so low during the week that I was doing big refeeds on the weekend. And I remember uh, it was my birthday two weeks out of that show. And I yeah. went out and a few burgers and fries. But to me, that was justified because I went solo during the week. It was going to refill me back up. But looking back on that yeah. now, I, it was just so many mistakes. And yeah, if we're going to talk about the biggest mistakes I ever made, it was trying to prep myself and um, giving myself too much leeway, I guess, versus what I would do now on a prep. Yeah, well, I think what you touched on there is well, a couple of things that I went, I went, I went through the exact same process. Um, luckily, I didn't live just above a, a supermarket, yeah. but I, I would literally drive to a supermarket and just say, fuck it, I just want what I want here. Yeah. And the same, like Tesco's do these cookies, triple chocolate cookies, and they are different like they are just yeah. <laughs> different this spot. but it wasn't even like you were having one or two you were having you came home you cracked open a pint of ben and jerry's and you put the cookies into it and you're like yeah, yeah, this yeah. is great you know and then you wanted something else and i remember the very first time i dieted hard as soon as that that was over as soon as i hit that place i wanted to hit i went and got a large dominoes and ice cream and all this stuff and couldn't finish it. My stomach was in cramps and probably for the next two or three days, my stomach was in bits and just didn't know what to expect from it. And I think that's what you said, you know, having a good coach there who knows the safest and best way to do things, but also how do you get you back out of that? That yeah. is very, very important. You know, it's not just about, I always say, you know, point A to point B is great, but any anyone can do that. You know, drive someone to the ground hard enough and they'll, they'll get there. Yeah. But it's what you do after that. You know, yeah. that's when people are going to have either full-blown eating disorders or at least a good degree of very much food-focused, body-focused, and trying to actually um, address that. There's no point in getting someone from point A to point B. Anyone can do that. You know, you see boot camps all around, probably Australia and all around our country you know, boot camps are rife and people get to their abs out they get to into that dress they get to that reunion or that wedding what happens after that because i know the very first time i went to an all-inclusive holiday i was going up for five plates of breakfast yeah you know, every every morning was muffins and donuts yeah and, and it was the same as dinner we need to address those tendencies that come with that and that it's not just about he looks fucking great with his top off, but what's going on in, inside his head? You know, is he looking at every single part of his body thinking, well, there could be a wee bit more off that. And it's just so disconnected from what is actually normal. And I don't think a lot of people realize that when they get stuck into this whole process, Yeah, that, that comes with it. Yeah, exactly. You know? man, I think, 
I think those are some very big points. And I think if we're going to summarize that, that's not really a myth that we're busting as such. That was kind of just our intro. But if you're going to characterize it as one thing, it's that this whole binge restrict mindset doesn't work. And it's not a case of if you just eat low during the week, you can have whatever the fuck you want on the weekend. You know, you probably have to be very genetically elite to do that or eat pretty much fuck all during the week to make up for the, you know, high influx that you're having during that thing. So let's take that one off as one myth that we've busted, like the binge restrict our own personal experience with it and the need to sort of find a good coach rather than just like you say, these boot camps with a generic diet, this one size fits all thing. Um, Let's talk about carbs, right? Common (laughs) myths. There's so many ways we can go down here. Yeah. Let's talk about the most common one, right? Clock hits six oh one. Suddenly, you're a fat <laughs> from eating carbs. Yeah. Talk to me. <laughs> it's true, right? It's true. Yeah. Well, this is actually a real interesting point, actually. Um, there is a lot of bro bro sense out there, um, but especially in the training aspect, like if you look look at a lot of stuff that Brad Schoenfeld and, and the likes of those are doing research wise a lot of those old school bodybuilding things, you know, high reps, low weight, that type of stuff, you know, that's been shown now to be equally as effective as like the typical heavy stuff. And there's some research in this here when you eat carbs and when you eat certain food from, I always say from a general standpoint, you know, these things people don't need to worry about. Like my whole thing is you need to fit whatever your nutrition is at that around your lifestyle and not trying to force your lifestyle into that. So if that means you can only eat twice a day and once is in the morning and once is at night, then go for it. Is it going to make much of a difference? Probably not. But there's some stuff um, coming out now about like chrono nutrition and when you eat does actually matter in, in some instances from a health standpoint. Um, but that's all recent very recent the last couple of years so it'll be another couple of years before i actually understand what's actually going on physiologically but in terms of this whole thing of eating after a certain time <laughs> like it's it's just it's bizarre to me like that i think the concept came from that you know after a certain time you're not doing anything you're sitting on the sofa you're going to bed to lie down and all that food is trying to use the fat. And the way that I explain like metabolism to people is that if you're in a coma right now, yes, you're not exercising, but your brain's still working. Your lungs are still working. Your heart is still beating. Your body still functions because you're still alive. And that all requires energy. You know, the brain alone needs, you know, 400 calories or something. Um, just to, just to operate. So it doesn't matter if you eat before bed, that, that food is still going to be used to keep your body running. It's the same sort of question you get, like, you know, should you train faster or not in the mo- first thing in the morning or should you do your cardio late at night and that type of thing. If you eat 2000 calories across the day, if you do 200 calories of cardio in the morning or 200, cardio, 200 calories of cardio in the evening, it's still at the same deficit across the whole day. And that's what people really need to think about. It's not about these intricacies of, oh, I shouldn't eat close to bed because it might upset whatever. Or maybe I should be having carbs close to bed to try and improve serotonin release, to try and get a deeper sleep. Like These are things that I think sometimes bleed in from the physique 
an athlete realm into the general population and in the general population think right i need to be doing this here when for the most part if, if people are just controlling calories they're going to get a result now the likes of me or you or, or an athlete trying to optimize everything yes you want to put a little bit of more thought into it but eating carbs after a certain time like i love carbs before bed like it just really settles me for the night mm-hmm. um and I, I do that with all my clients like pretty much every single one of my clients i'll give them a decent bit of well probably a load of moderate bit of protein a small tiny bit of fat and a good bolus of carbs right before bed and most of them sleep like a baby you know yeah so yeah i i don't know where it exactly came from i think it's probably from that idea that you probably go to sleep with a full belly um, and you're not doing anything but at the end of the day it doesn't really matter too much yeah yeah that's fair and if you think about training as well right what happens if somebody trains at 4 or 5 p.m at night or they've got an athlete who's got a team training at seven o'clock and they're going to get home at nine right and they're pretty much they're not going to eat a big dinner before they go out they kind of need to recover and refuel their body right so for for somebody who trains say average office worker finishes at five is at the gym for 5 30 trains for an hour home by seven right they've missed that window so all of a sudden they've just got to eat protein and fats now and so they just literally have a protein shake and a spoonful of, you know, peanut butter before bed, right? That's all you yeah. can have. Otherwise you become fat, right? It just doesn't make sense. Yeah. Um, and I think there's so many factors that come into it, but a lot of people think that, you know, it's, it's gospel and it's one of those big myths yeah. that's been around for, for so long. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So hit me with another one, big guy. Let's uh, let's give me another example of something that you think needs busted here. I think one that I always hear like is about it's the same we're on macronutrients. Uh, protein's bad for you. Yeah. This is something that that I've heard. I don't know since, since I've been around since I remember. This is something I've always heard, and it was initially that protein's bad for your kidneys. So there's two real reasons people say it's bad. One is because it's bad for your kidneys. One because it's bad for your bones. The, the kidneys one comes from a high protein diet was correlated with an increase in, in GFR and um, your glomerular filtration rate. So your, your GMR is a, a marker of just like filtration from the kidneys, waste filtra- filtration from the kidneys. Um, and that because that was elevated, that that was a sign that the kidneys were under stress from the, the protein. Um, now there is some like this all this is the the issue with research and with people trying to translate research is that some of the animal research done like on pigs and mice and that type of thing showed that increase in protein increased renal hypertrophy so increase in size the likes of the kidneys Um, now when you translate that to the human model there's a review way back in 2005 but there's been more modern ones done where that it shows that healthy people, they don't really get any sort of renal hypertrophy. Yes, there's an increase in GFR, but that's just normal response. It doesn't lead to a, like a pathological outcome. However, there is some evidence that if someone already has a pre-existing renal condition or renal disease, that might be where you need to have a little bit more caution. Um, but it doesn't seem to be affect anyone in a healthy population, which is probably 
you know, the vast, vast majority of people within the general population, they don't have a kidney issue. Yeah. Um, and if you do have a kidney issue, you probably already know about it. So you'll know to limit protein slightly. Yeah. So that was the, the first one. The second one is that protein's bad for bones. And this came about with that when you, in, when you take in protein, dietary protein, you do get this um, acidic effect. And I, and I hate talking about this because people seem to think that, oh, you know, blood pH, and I should be on like an alkaline diet and this type of thing. But you do get a change in acidity because to metabolize protein and to break protein down, you get a slight increase in acid production um, endogenously. And that's really through the breakdown of sulfur amino acids or phosphoproteins. And what happens is to buffer that and to, to drop that a wee bit, the body releases calcium from bones. So people thought that you take a protein here in through the mouth and calcium comes out in the pee and they're trying to correlate them too, but they're not really telling the story of what happens in between. The two different things is here is that when you increase something, so if you increase the consumption of fat, you're going to burn more fat. If you increase the consumption of carbs, you're going to burn more carbs. If you increase the consumption of protein, you're going to pee out more protein. You're going to pee out more calcium. The other thing is that there's a correlation between protein intake and dairy products and dairy products obviously contain calcium. So more calcium in means more calcium out. Mm -hmm. Now, once we've actually done the more in-depth research, the more mechanistic stuff, protein actually stimulates bone growth. So it stimulates bone growth and it stops bone loss. And it, you know, high protein diets have been associated with um, a drop in his, you know, sorry, hip fracture rates. So protein is actually good for, from a bone standpoint. It's not bad for the kidneys. And this is something that I'll hear probably at least once a month, you know, that much protein is bad for you. And that's led to people within sort of the bodybuilding sphere, then going and doing research on this with, I think the latest research I seen was an intake of around four grams per kilo of body weight, mm -hmm. which if you think for most people, they, they're always told that, two to 2.2 grams per kilo of body weight or one pound, one yeah. gram per pound. This is, this is way above that, almost double and had no effect on, on kidney status long-term. And that was, that was a chronic study. So that's one myth that I always hear, you know, from general population, from even health practitioners. And it's just one that doesn't have any substantial evidence behind it. Yeah. Yeah. And on the topic of protein, what about, the thought that there's a limit on how much protein you can absorb or use in one go. Yeah, this is a, another strange one that sometimes you hear, um, and, and depending on some, what way someone words the question, it, you know, if it was the idea that, oh, you can only digest certain amounts of protein per meal or whatever, then you would be seeing pieces of meat in your, in your poop. Yeah. <laughs> You've seen half your steak line out there. Yeah. Um, but there, there's an idea that there, there's um, an anabolic threshold. And once you go above that anabolic threshold, that that extra protein, that excess protein isn't going to be used for, for likes of muscle building purposes. So what the threshold really is, is between 20 and 40 grams of good quality protein 
and I use that 20 to 40 grams as a range because depending on your body size, your amount of muscle mass, your training status, that type of thing, is going to determine what your leucine threshold is, which for most people is around three grams. And 20 to 40 grams of good quality protein will provide that. And that switches on your anabolic signaling for muscle growth and muscle hypertrophy, which is what we all want if we're going to the gym. Yeah. Anything above that doesn't need to make much of a difference. But again, you're, you're coming down to you know, minor things here. Is it optimal to have, say, four meals a day with 20 to 40 grams of protein and maybe have like a snack in there or something? Yeah, it's probably optimal based on the research. But if someone can only eat twice a day and they have two large boluses of protein, are they really going to hinder their muscle gain potential? Possibly. Can I put a percentage on it? Probably not. It's yeah. not going to be like they're going to hinder it by 20%. It may be 2%. Yeah. Um, you know, so, so I think, as I always say, you know, it needs to fit around your lifestyle. So there's no point in me saying, yeah, eating four to five meals a day, 30 to 40 grams of protein, that's going to be optimal for muscle gain. And then your, your life, your work doesn't allow for that. You know, so it needs to be, here's your targets, hit the targets. And if you can and want to be more optimal, here's the guidelines to do so. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah. And, and another little nice tie in since we're talking about the kidneys and that there, let's talk about detoxing, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's one I think we can go down a rabbit hole on. So yeah. um, whether it's, you know, people buying these products or believing that, you know, oh, I'm going to detox. I'm just going to have lemon water or whatever this week. Yeah. Like the body is incredibly efficient at detoxing. You know, if it's got something it yeah. sees as harmful to the body, it wants to get that fucking thing out. So when we're yeah. sitting here now, if my body's seen the coffee I just had as a toxin, it's going to be working <laughs> through the kidneys and the liver to yeah. get rid of it. Same way if I just had a shot of gin before we came on here, right? It's going to see the alcohol as a toxin. <laughs> and it's going to be working to remove that fucking pretty much straight away. Yeah. So, yeah. like, what's your thoughts on all these? Not that people are, are wrong for buying into it because it is very heavily marketed now. And, yeah. you know, people are selling all these products to detox them and these uh, slim teas, which it probably is another another separate issue. But um, what about detoxing in general? What's your thoughts on, on that? Uh, You've probably summed it up, but it's a really funny thing here. Back probably about 10 years ago, yeah, about 2009, and like, you know yourself and everyone probably listening knows how fast this industry has moved between 2010 and now. You know, there's so much more products out there. People know that you can make capital off supplements. But back in 2009, there was this big, massive investigation where companies who sold detox products were asked, you know, can you name a single toxin that's eliminated by any of your products? None of them could do it. None of them could. None of them could talk about a, a single toxin that you're trying to detox. Yeah. Um, and some of these products are, you know, they're marketed as detox products, like the likes of those teas and that, and those coffees, which either increases you just going to the toilet and having the shits. Yeah. You're going to lose weight that way, and then you have the more subtle ones like you know having some lemon in your water in the mornings with apple cider vinegar and and that type of thing. Uh, your body is set up incredibly well for 
either filtering. I don't. I don't like to say toxins because I don't think toxins is a good, um, a good term for it. But like waste products is probably a better word. Yeah. Um, your liver, kidneys, um, lungs, even your skin. It's all they're working. That's what their jobs are to do: is to work around the clock and trying to remove those substances so that you don't get a health condition or something. Now you get arguments from like the likes of um, like functional medicine type types who would say that they have experienced uh, an improvement in something. And what I would say is like, I'm there, although I come from a science background, done a PhD and would classify myself as sort of evidence-based, I'm not as hardcore as some people. Like some people say, if there's not a study out there, then it doesn't work. Mm. And then you have more like the functional types who are like, okay, well, I know this works because of X, Y, and Z. And I'm probably somewhere in the middle there that if I can see some sort of rationale for it and you want to try it, go ahead and try it. You know, we'll just monitor it. Because at the end of the day, if you're taking lemon with your water in the morning, that's not going to do, that's going to interfere with my goals that I'm trying to coach you to. So if that makes you feel better, go ahead and do it. The likes of these products though, you know, stay away from them, you know, because that first you're out of pocket, then you're having the shits. And then you you drop a couple of pounds and then put the pounds back on again. You know, the thing is when it comes to like nutrition, it needs to be sustainable. You know, there's no point. I always say to people, you know, look at your current that, and if you're, if you're doing a cut or something, look at your current that ask yourself, can you do that for the next three months, six months, 12 months? If you can't, you know, what's the point? What's the point in you sitting here having, um, what was the recent data I seen there? It's one I posted about on social media. Um, yeah, Adele's dad, the cert dad, yep. which is pretty much for the first couple of days, you have like two or three shakes and that's it. And then you slowly transition into having like one solid meal and two shakes and then two solid meals and one shake. Yep. But it's from a very restrictive set of foods, which equates to around a thousand calories. Like that's probably fine, you know, if you want to just go for like a two week thing. But you're not going to you know, improve your, your aging or improve any condition with that. It's not going to be a long-term thing. And like, as we said at the start, doing something very restrictive like that is only going to end in a rebound. Yeah. And that way it's going to come on. Like, and you can see that the likes of Simon World and Weight Watchers, people say, oh, I'm fine doing that. Like, I'm fine. I've lost so much weight. I've kept it off. But look at the amount of people who go back to their normal eating because they haven't learned anything. Yeah. And the weight comes back on and usually more. So it's, it's a strange one, um, but it is what it is. I mean, like it, I'm always one to educate people away from those products, but if they want to try something, go and try it. And if you feel better having your lemon water in the morning, you know, it's not doing anything for your detoxing, but if you feel better, I mean, you feel better. And that's, that's what we're here to do is to help people, you know? Yeah. I mean, yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. I think we've covered about three big myths or, so I want to do two more. So one that I want to finish on and then we'll go to you for your, your final one um, is the theory that you can't eat your favorite foods and still lose fat, right? So flexible dieting has become very, very popular. Um, and there's this theory that, you know, a bodybuilding diet or to get serious physique achievements or like, and enhancements to your physique you need to suffer you need to do the chicken rice broccoli diet and do stuff that's probably unrealistic to the average person and while it's true yeah you need to sacrifice you know calorie wise 
you could still fit in your favorite foods given the right circumstances, whether that's a bit of dark chocolate, whether that's a bagel, if your carbs are high enough and you're satiated. Um, but what do you think about that in terms of, let's talk about for gen pop and then for somebody who has serious physique goals, like say now for me, I'm a week out of this photo shoot. Um, what's your thoughts on a gen pop person doing that versus me now doing that? Yeah. Um, so there's a, there's a couple of things there. So with, uh, well, let's cover everyone from the start, right? A gen pop person doesn't differ from a physique person in terms of their physiology or biology. They're all the same, you know, and I hate saying this sometimes, but it's, it's true that you know, your body can't tell the difference between ice cream and, and kale. And people will tell me, oh, well, it, it can because it'll it break down the difference. Yes, the composition is different of those foods, but it doesn't know that, oh, you're eating ice cream here. Um, so in, in terms of how the, the food's breaking down, it's, it's all broken down into their simple parts. You know, proteins broken down to amino acids. Your fats are broken down into like triglycerides. Your um, carbohydrates broken down into simple sugars that's the way your body breaks down food there's no different types of carbs there and you know you, you could get into it like oh well you know like fruit drinks is all like fructose and high high corn fructose syrup and stuff but from a general standpoint food is just food and you can either get in real good this is called beach condition as opposed to stage condition you can get in beach condition pretty much eaten your favorite foods i was going to say any food sir but i'm like you couldn't do that but you could at least have those food choices so i remember alberto nunez of um, 3d muscle journey he'd done two cuts before where he'd done it very much bodybuilding style chicken and rice very much clean food and then he'd done it a couple of years later with a more flexible diet and approach and he said that he got better results off that both from how he looked and the the longevity within his dad was mm -hmm. better now that's true that most people could do that um, and most people could achieve those results the issue that i see is number one with a flexible dad and approach you usually have more foods to choose from and with well in the uk here i'm not sure what the regulations are over where you are but within food labels you're allowed to be 10 to 15 percent out from what your nutrition label says mm -hmm. so if you're doing like a typical bro, bro diet bodybuilding that you're maybe limiting yourself to 10 or 15 different foods across the week you can be consistent with your error rate across all of those mm -hmm. so it doesn't really matter if your your calories are slightly higher one day or slightly lower the other day it's all going to balance itself out but if you're doing a flexible diet and approach trying to fit, fit in multiple different foods there's more chance of error there so you could be consuming maybe 2,200 calories instead of 2,000 across the day. Um, and you put that error rate. The other issue that I see is that both extremes have a really bad relationship with food. If you're a physique athlete, you're very, at, at the stage you're at, you're very much food focused, you know? And at the other end, if you're a general population who for the most part is probably overweight, if not obese, um, given the statistics, then you're obviously very food focused as well, or, or you have behaviors associated with over consuming certain foods. Mm -hmm. So to me to say to you, 
and have one slice of pizza there and put the rest away that's gonna that's that's gonna take a lot of willpower on your part um so me saying to you yeah have, have a slice of pizza or, or two there with your wife tonight and, and just fit it into your macros that's going to take a, an incredible amount of willpower for you to do without going off and at the same point with someone who's overeating you know you wouldn't get someone like an alcoholic and say just fit in one or two drinks yeah you yeah. know see so, so again it's striking that balance where yes, there should be foods that you enjoy, foods you like, foods that you're actually getting benefits from, um, in terms of nutritionally, health-wise, that type of thing. But also, um, it needs to be aligned with your goals. So at the minute, your goal is, I want to look good in this photo shoot. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to risk having a little bit of my favorite food when the shoot's only like a week away. Yeah. At the same time, I had a client before. Well, I didn't have a client. I had a, a consultation. I'm not sure if I told you this one before. I probably have. But I had a consultation a number of years ago where a girl was 20 plus stone, right? Maybe 24 stone, I think I remember. And she came to the consultation with a cake with this size. She <laughs> sat, sat down with the cake and ate the full cake in front of me. And I was like, didn't offer me any. Okay. But, <laughs> She so ate the whole cake and I asked her, you know, what's this about? And she was like, um, oh, I know I'm starting with you on next week. So I just want to have some last things. And when I dug a little deeper, like she would have that most days. She would get those multi-pack packet of crisps, you know, like 14 bags per pack. Yeah. She would eat them every day. She would eat two family-sized bars of chocolate. And she thought that she was coming to me and I was going to say, you can't have anything but chicken and rice. And all I said to her was like, listen, Instead of having the full cake, have half the cake. Yeah. Instead of having 14 bags of crisps, have 10. Instead of having two family-sized bars of chocolate, have one and a half. Yeah. And we've done those small things. And I think by the end of like an eight-week eight period, she had lost maybe four or five stone. Yeah, wow. And that wasn't any, that wasn't, that wasn't any exercise. She was just, uh, I'll not say her job, but she was on her feet a lot. Yep. She wasn't doing any real training, just going for walks. Yep. Um, and just making that simple adjustment, you got her to lose that weight. But then when you lose that weight, for most people, their goals change. So someone who was like a skinny kid like myself in, in school, I just wanted size on. I didn't care if it was muscle, fat. I just wanted to look bigger. Then when I got the size on, I was like, right, I actually want to look good now. And so your, your goals slightly change. And as you push more towards that extreme of, I want to look good on stage. I want to do a photo shoot. You do have less flexibility there mm-hmm. because you know yourself, you're probably very food focused now. You're trying to fit things into your dad, given that you know we've both had that place in the past where we do have a disordered eating with binges that that could set you off. And at this stage of your cut, that's not what you want. So yeah. You do need to play it in your goals, but if you are a general population, just want to go into the change rooms and feel, feel a little bit better about yourself, if you just want to look a bit better on the beach, look a bit better in your swimsuit, look a bit better naked, you know, you can still fit in all your nice health, your nice, enjoyable foods while achieving those goals. Yeah, 100%, 100%. I think to clarify, buddy, I, I agree 100%. It's just the fact that. I'm not talking about eating donuts and pizza all the time. If I could fit that in every week, I'd be doing pretty well. But like, 
it's about making smart choices. So for example, yeah. if I want to cook some potatoes and I like them chipped, if I'm going to oven roast them, I might need some coconut oil so they don't all stick and go shit. But if I, yeah. like last week, two weeks ago or whatever, I bought an air fryer. So I'm doing my potatoes in there that yeah. turn out perfect without any oil. That means I've got an extra little bit of fat left. I can put a square or two of dark chocolate in my my nighttime meal as a result. So that's still one of my favorite foods. Yes, it's not the same as eating a donut, yeah. but that's still yeah. an example of how you can manipulate your food. And instead of putting coconut oil on the food, which isn't going to satiate me in any sort of way, or for example, the fiber one bars, right? They're 90 calories by 10 grams yeah. of carbs, three grams of fat. Maybe it's just because I'm dieting, but that is absolutely phenomenal right now, right? So if I can have 90 calories from something like that, that is a, not a normal food, like most people would prefer to have their 11 grams of carbs coming from potato or rice or something else. Yeah. But like if, if you can fit in these little things that just get you through it, and it's not just chicken, peas, and broccoli, and rice, and you yeah. know all the boring foods, you're going to be more... Um, more satiated, more sustained, and eventually, when you do get that donut, which is going to be next week for me, it's uh, it's <laughs> more satisfying, right? So let's hit it with one other big one, mate, just to finish us off. Last sort of five minutes. What's what's on your hit list? What do you? What's the next big myth that you want to finish on? Probably from a, a general standpoint, one of the ones that I always see is this idea of starvation mode metabolic adaptation, metabolic damage, that type of thing. Um, I, I'm sitting here drinking a, a can of Coke Zero or um, that Coke, and people are probably talking about uh, artificial sweeteners, but I think this one's probably a more applicable one to people. This idea that if you go through like a, a, a period of that and that your metabolism just says, you know what, we need this here fat for fuel you're going to be you're into a period of starvation we're going to hold on to everything on your body um and funny enough that usually ties into people selling this idea of i'm going to fix your metabolism or i have this recovery protocol that i can give you yeah and i think starvation mode is probably the way where it started and then over the course of the last maybe five to ten years it switched to like metabolic adaptation or, or metabolic damage um and it's just something that people just don't have a good grasp of. Like, even if you look from a very, you know, a, a very crude standpoint, you look at, you know, third world developing countries, um, some of the horrors that went on in like the world wars and concentration camps and gulags and stuff. There were no fat or over obese people there, you know, because it was proper starvation. Um, so it doesn't, your body doesn't kick in and be like, oh, this starts storing fat from any food we eat because we need it, you know? And I say that's a very crude example, but, but it's one that people don't just take a step back and be like, you know, that's actually a very logical explanation or because, really. you know, people think that we're in this usually developed country and my metabolism's damaged because I've been chronically dead and for, you know, 10 or 11 different dad and cycles and it needs fixed and that's why i can't lose weight but there's two real things that two real good examples of this um one was a guy called agnes babari and i think he was maybe definitely over 300 pounds maybe close to 400 
and this was a medical case study a number of years ago where he fasted for over a year. Oh yeah. Um, the only thing he really consumed was water, tea, coffee, um, some vitamins and some electrolytes just to make sure from a health standpoint it was all right. And this, this was all medically supervised and it's not something that I would suggest people to do, but it just gives an idea of the actual concept. But over the course of that entire year, he improved all his blood markers. He dropped something ridiculous, some weight, but he, he ended up, it was 400 pounds or 300 pounds, wherever that conversion is. And he ended up at 96 at the end of it. Wow. And then they followed up to see, you know, what was the damage? What was the, the weight regain? People were expecting to blow up again. And he only gained like three kilos. Yeah, yeah. You wow. know, so for, from that amount of drop and then having this massive follow-up or long-term follow-up of only gaining three kilos, if his metabolism was damaged, then, you know, he would have put on so much more weight. Yeah. The, the Minnesota starvation experiment, um, I'm sure you're probably familiar with it or at least heard of it, was basically, you know, how do we get people to a healthy weight back after the, the Second World War? So it was around 1944 or so. And it, it's a real, real interesting study. But what they've pretty much done is they got like, I think it was about 35, 36 people and the replicated conditions that would have experienced in a prisoner of war camp. So it was things like doing extensive manual labor, marching 20-ish, 20, 21 miles a day or miles per week. And the debt they consumed was 50% of their energy expenditure. So, you know, you think most deaths drop into maybe 10, 15% for deficit. This was 50%. Um, of their energy expender. So a really severe um, deficit. And what they found was that most people's metabolism bounced back once they increased calories. You know, we found that the BMR reduces at a maximum of maybe 20%. For most people who had been like a dad for like most physique athletes, maybe 5%. Um, you know, any of the studies we know don't, doesn't really support this idea that the starvation mode exists or metabolic adaptation, what really happens is when you that you you do get a wee drop in BMR, but again it's maybe about five percent. Um, there's a number of studies published in around 2014, 2015, following physique athletes um, across both their dieting period and the recovery period. Um, so there was one where someone's BMR dropped from 2,000 calories or their total daily expenditure dropped from 2,000 to 1,500. So 500 calories, which is probably normal for most people who do towards a show. Um, and then within 12 weeks, that had bounced back up to baseline levels. And it seems that for most of the research, it bounces back up to, to normal levels. Mm. Um, within the Minnesota starvation study, they starved them for six months. And most people within that study bounce back very quickly. And then I think by the end of it, uh, by the end of the, the follow-up period, everyone had regained their, their BMR. The change of the adaptation really comes from people's change in activity. Like this is why you're seeing like a, a big change now in people starting to monitor steps per day. It's not necessarily that they're monitoring steps per day, but they're trying to get uh, indirect measure of non-exercise activity thermogenesis because what happens is as you death you essentially become lazier mm -hmm. so you stop fidgeting your body stops those small movements maybe you're playing with a pen when you're on the phone maybe you're going for walks maybe you're taking the stairs instead of the escalator 
all that shifts to a lazier state. Like probably at the minute you're feeling a lot tired now than you did at the first of that. And that's just your body trying to conserve energy. Yeah. It's not a starvation mode. And then that's why coaches now are saying, okay, we'll do, do a thousand steps a day because then that, we, that way we know that your need is at that level. Mm-hmm. And then they'll have their cardio and their, their weights on top of that. So it's not a, a true reflection of this metabolic damage. You know, everyone's metabolism um, comes back up after that period of death and when they put calories back in. I got a question last night on my Instagram. Someone had said, um, I'm at the end of a diet. How do I improve testosterone? And testosterone and other hormones do drop as a result of that. And you know, at the end of the day, you are, it's, it's controlled starvation, essentially. So hormones do drop slightly. But as soon as you take away the deficit and you put the energy back in, those hormones all come back to baseline fairly quickly. Mm. You know, it's not this damage. It's only becoming from um, the drop in calories initially. The other point on that is that there is a slight drop in BMR, but that's not because of the death per se. That's because you've lost weight. You know, a smaller body requires smaller calories to move it. Mm-hmm. So that's why you see like some females who could be on a thousand calories to lose weight. The likes of me or you are probably on a lot more than that. Mm-hmm. It's not because like, you know, if our training was all identical and genetically we were identical, it's a large part of that's coming because they're a smaller human. <laughs> it's yeah. not because of the damage their metabolism from you know, years of that. And what I tend to see in those people who say, you know, oh, I've, I've damaged my metabolism. I can't seem to lose weight. It's because they've went on, they've undergone so many restrictive deaths in the past that they've built up either emotional relationship with food or disordered eating behaviors. And that when they do go on to another restrictive death, they're just ready to binge all the time or overeat or they inadvertently eat things that they don't account for. Mm-hmm. It's not because their metabolism is broken, you know? So that's that whole starvation mode, metabolic flexibility um, or adaptation is is one of those myths that people need to stop using as, a, as an excuse and really take responsibility of what, what actually is going on in my life here that I am not losing weight. Yeah. Is it because of my relationship with food? Is it because I, I, I think I'm accurate, you know, I'm more active than what I am because people think I go to gym six days a week. I'm active. I'm like, well, no, because you're still sitting on your ass for the other 23 hours a day or you're sleeping yeah. or whatever. Um, so you're not really living an active life. You're living a sedentary life on your train three, you know, six days a week. Yeah. Um, so people just need to really take stock of what's going on in their life there. Why am I not getting results? Um, and just leave this excuse of, you know, oh, it's starvation mode or it's my metabolism's damaged and I need to fix it and, and that type of thing, you yeah. know? Yeah, cool, mate, cool. And that's a, that's a big one to end on. And there's obviously a lot it's it's one that is thrown out a lot with people like oh i I don't eat enough so that's why i can't lose weight and it is very common and if people do feel that then it it is thrown out about often enough that they shouldn't feel bad for buying into that fact um but just like josh said maybe you need to look at other factors such as are you training hard enough are you inadvertently snack snack sedenting where you know you're you forget, <laughs> forgetting the three biscuits you pick up every time you go to the tea room you know to make a coffee during your normal working yeah. day and um, times three coffees a day so that's nine biscuits a day over five days of the week that probably adds up you know um, yeah. i think that's a that's a big one to add into because um it also reminds people that 
these myths and these these um, theories and that they all just come down to how consistent you are and how much you're adhering to a diet and that's why you know having a coach and reaching out to somebody who you trust um, can yeah. see you on the right path really so that's a, that's a big one for finishing on so thank you for that buddy now everyone's been listening to us talk for the past hour they know that you are my first coach and I want to check you out on Instagram so hit me up with your Instagram handle or your Facebook or how do people or email if you would prefer not to use socials and you want people to get in touch via there let me know yeah um, so I, I don't tend to use Facebook all my nutrition stuff goes on to my Instagram and it's just Josh Williamson 90 um, that's my handle. You get me through your page. Yep. I do some of all my academic stuff on Twitter. You get me on there. And if you just drop me a message on Instagram, we can get chatting through message or email or something like that. Yep. And if they're watching this on YouTube, it'll be in the description below. Same with Spotify and Apple. If they're not sure about the spelling on that, I will put your handle in there. And like I said, if you just type Josh into my followers or people who that I follow, you will find him for sure because uh, somebody who we talk talk frequently or back and forth on, on Instagram and somebody who will always be on that followers list. So um, yeah, thank you so much for your time. I've took over just an hour of it. Um, really appreciate it, mate. Can't wait to get this up. It's going to be up in a week and it's going to be a big one. So thank you very much, buddy. No worries. Thank you. Appreciate you having me on. Thanks, mate. Thanks for listening to The O Show with your host, Oren McCory. If you liked this episode, then please subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening and share this on your social media. We'll see you on the next episode for more no-nonsense advice to help you supercharge your efforts in the gym, in the kitchen, and most importantly, in your head. See you then.